Hey everyone, Mike here. Um, hope you're enjoying the Cornerstone Conversations podcast. So we had a little technical difficulties with this specific podcast. So let's just say the audio is not up to par, but the content was so good we did not want to redo it. So forgive us, the audio on a scale of 1 through 10 might be a 2.5. So enjoy this podcast. And remember, we had a little technical difficulties. All right, guys, enjoy the podcast. Hey, Rob, how's it going? Doing excellent, Jeff. How are you doing? Good, man. Good to see you. We got another exciting topic to talk about this afternoon. We're going to talk about seeing Jesus in our study of Scripture something that's really important to both of us. And so we're going to spend a little time this afternoon talking through this and hopefully encouraging folks in their, in their endeavor to study Scripture and, and not lose sight of the main, the main point. As you and I have been discussing and kind of preparing for this podcast the last few days, we've talked about how there's kind of this approach to Scripture that sadly can be almost burdensome, uh, in a sense, almost, almost deadly in a spiritual sense. Uh, and... We believe that God's heart in revealing himself through scripture is to give us life and encouragement and freedom. And so the question is, well, how do we, how do we interpret it? How do we ensure that we get the main point God is conveying to us? How do we not miss the main point? How do we not miss this benefit of spiritual life and encouragement and freedom that God offers us as he unveils his beautiful, amazing character before us? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we've been preparing this for this a little while. We have a lot of things to say. This will probably be a, a two-parter because, and we could go a whole lot longer than even two parts, but we're going to try to keep right. it to two parts because it's a topic that's near and dear to our hearts and we think it's really important and foundational for our ministry here at the church. And honestly, you and I have been talking about this subject on and off together for years, right? Yeah, right? right. And then this morning we even got together with our other elders, Dave and, and Brian, and we were talking about the same kind yep. of thing as we were, yep. how, how do we... Really make sure that we and others, as we look at Scripture, see exactly what God is offering to us and not view it just as a list of instructions to be yep. better moral human beings. Right, the do's and don'ts right. or whatever. Right, absolutely. So we're going to try to unpack that in this conversation and hopefully crystallize for folks Hey, how do we approach this book, which is God revealing himself? And, and if you think about that, it's amazing that God reveals himself through this book to us. If that's the case, then boy, it's real important, right? And it's worth our devotion and our attention. And along with that, it's real important that we understand clearly what he's saying and not misunderstand or misconstrue it because that would be harmful to, to us. And and, uh, and so we're so we're eager to, to dive in this. Let's go ahead and not take any more time. Let's just jump in. Um, one of our first texts that we want to look at is in John 5. So would you read that? John 5, verses 39 through 40, uh, Jesus addresses this very thing there. I would love to. John 5, verse 39 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What a great passage of scripture to guide how we read every text. Yeah. The challenge that Jesus clearly diagnoses of this group of people that were listening is that they were, in fact, reading God's word. Yeah. Day in and day out, studying, yeah. um, memorizing, 
trying to really get to the nitty gritty of what each text is saying, the problem is they were going to the text to receive from the text life. Right, right. But the text has a declaration about someone, and that one, the Lord Jesus, is the one that gives us life. And if we miss him in the text, we're missing the very intention of God for us. Right, right. It's almost um, a distinction that could be hard to catch because it's like, okay, well, the whole point is that we would read and study this book and record it for us. And of course, they're thinking of the writings of Moses and so forth and all the fruits that come along with that union. Like there's a certain way to understand this, this book that we, that we like to study and that we need to study. Yeah, for sure. And, and the Gospel of John iterates and reiterates that very concept right from its inception. If you think back right in chapter one and verse four, when, when John was introducing this, the first three verses, he's talking about the word having been the one that created everything, Jesus as the word creating everything. In verse four, he says, in him was life. Yep. And the life was the light of men. So, so this life that Jesus is, that he offers, um, John is again and again, of course, he's inspired by the Spirit, offering that life through Christ again and again. In, in John chapter 4, when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, he's offering to her not water that is temporary, just to quench your thirst right. for a minute, right. but water that overflows to eternal or real everlasting life. He offers that same life. In chapter 5, uh, he, he again gets to that same thing, telling us that Jesus is life. In verse 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And that life that he has of his own, he offers to those right. that will come to There's him. that theme just over and over again, right? Throughout the Gospel of John, throughout the entire New Testament, really throughout the entire Bible. And we see here, it's, it's fascinating that these religious leaders, these people who are so diligent in their study, missed it. And so the question is, well, if, if they could miss it, can we miss it? Oh I mean, my. if there's no temptation but such as is common to man, then, then we too, we could say, are capable and, and of missing it, right? Oh, no doubt. I think, I think that it's so easy for us to miss it because our natural inclination is, Lord, tell me what to do. Right. What can I do to gain eternal life, to gain a good standing, to gain righteousness, to gain an inheritance? What can I do that I'll please you yep. to be a good person? What can I do to be a good husband? What can I do to be a good wife? What can I do to be a good child or a good father? Like, this is natural. Yep. And, and, and there's a sense in which those things are appropriate. It's, it's a sense in which they're appropriate. It is, of yeah. course. Like, right? We should all want to be a better yep. husband or a yep. better child or better father. Those are all good things. Yep. But if that's what we come to Scripture to find out how to be a better one of these yep. by our own wise choices and our own ingenuity and our own strength, we are going to come up desperately short. So it's natural for us to miss it. Yep. And I think that you see plenty of illustrations of that in the scriptures where people miss it. Yep, absolutely. And I, I'm thinking of when Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the letter kills, right? And, and he's talking about, of course, the right and the law of Moses. And, and, and the idea is not that somehow, you know, God has this 
uh, evil motive in sending you know the scriptures through Moses to the people. That's not the idea. No. The idea is it kills because our flesh, when we we approach it, uh, we approach it with this view of our own sufficiency. We look to ourselves, and God's been saying since the very beginning, "Hey, to Adam and Eve, since the day you eat of this, you'll surely die. You're, apart from me, you're dead. All you can produce is death." And so, if we come to this book, look and trying to treat it as instructions by which we're going to achieve something, justify ourselves, find eternal life for ourselves in some way, satisfy ourselves, the themes we've been talking about in other podcasts. Like if we're trying to pursue those things and we think somehow we're going to produce them by just following the instructions here, we've missed the whole point. This book is unfolding for us who our great God and Savior is, and he's the Savior, he's the life giver, not, not ourselves. This isn't some formula by which we try to, you know, uh, make a transaction with God or gain life for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, and, and one of the things that you and I talked about and, and have previous and will again, I'm sure, are some illustrations in the scriptures about that very thing. For instance, um, Luke chapter 10 yeah. uh, is, is that great text where the, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus um, and, he, and he's asking Jesus a question. I don't know if you want to read it. Yeah, yeah, I can read it. Yeah, okay. it's right here. So and in this... In this um, gospel is referred to as a lawyer, the rich young ruler, uh, highlighting his, his being a lawyer, says that he, he was an expert in the Bible. That's that's what lawyers were. They were Old Testament experts in those days. We have a different connotation for that term today, but in those days, these were, these were biblical scholars. And it says, he stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So there's that issue of life. He's, he's after life. How do I get life? And Jesus kind of playing along, knowing this guy's heart, says, hey, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. One thing that's noteworthy there is he was able to understand the teachings of Moses in such a way that he distilled it all down to the core issue. He was right in seeing, hey, this issue of love is the whole point and everything. He's right in, in a sense, but where he missed it was he was believing that he could somehow do this to achieve life. And, and isn't that exactly, I'll kick it right back to you, yep. isn't that exactly what happened in John 5? They searched the scriptures. Yeah, that's right. They searched yep. the scriptures. He actually figured out, okay, this is the, the, the love of God really captures the first portion of the Ten Commandments. Yep. And the love for my, my neighbor yep. captures the, the last portion. six yep. of the Ten Commandments. Yep. So he, he figured that out because he was searching the Scriptures, but he was seeking life from the Scriptures, which is why he says, what do I do? So, Yep, that's right. And, and Jesus kind of playing along just says, okay, well, go ahead and do this and you will live. Knowing full well, there's no way this guy's doing this. <laughs> but he plays along and, 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 and he's, he's trying to draw... This, this guy out, and in this case, you know, he's letting them, okay, go ahead and run with that then and see if you can do that. So then it goes further in verse 29, which is also important. Uh, it says explicitly what we've kind of been talking about, but it says explicitly there, but, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, okay, so I want to do this. How now can I do this right? And that's the, you know, we hear the term justify or the biblical term righteousness, which is the same Hebrew and Greek root that's translated in different ways at different times, but it's the same idea. Um, but to, to use kind of common language, kind of like, how do, how do I do it right? How do I get this right is, is what he's getting at. And um, so then Jesus, we won't go into it, but Jesus goes on to give the parable of the Good Samaritan. And again, it's kind of like, okay, here, this, this is what it would require. Christ is giving him all these different truths or measurements 
and I believe Christ's intention is that he would see, oh man, I, I fall short. I can't do that. I can't be the good Samaritan. I need a good Samaritan. And then, of course, Jesus is, is that good Samaritan. But, but if a human heart is still stuck in kind of the fleshly fallen mindset, all it can do is just keep struggling, groping, trying to find life instead of saying, wait a minute, uh, there is no life that I can secure for myself. I am incapable I need my creator. I need, I need a savior. You know, one of, the, one of the graces that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, obviously the ultimate one is that he lived for us, died for us, was buried for us, and was raised for us. We, we understand. Right. But one of the great gifts he's given to us is the fact that he constantly was revealing that the law is far more demanding than we think. Yeah, all right. We, that, we sort of lower it, right? right. See, okay, so I, I'm not going to commit adultery. But he doesn't leave it at that. He says, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. Don't murder. Okay, that, that's pretty, you know. Most of us can I'm, say, I'm probably I've never not going to murder someone. Yep. But if you are angry at someone, you're hating them in your heart, and, and, and he's expanding out. He's real, uh, unveiling the fact that the, the, the law is a lot more intrusive yep. than we give it credit for. And because he's done this, he puts us in a position that we have to admit, wow, when he tells me in Romans that there is no one that's righteous, he's talking about me. Yep. Because I can't do these things. Like I have no ability to fulfill the law to the extent that God requires, and this makes the grace and gift of Jesus doing that in our place that much more amazing to us. We say, all right, I can't do it. I'm trying. I come short. That means I'm, I'm in perilous situation. I'm, I'm in, in desperate situation. But God doesn't leave me in that desperate situation. He says, what you couldn't do because of the weakness of your flesh, I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son and my son comes and he does every one of those things to the nth degree, perfectly, lays down his life, dies for me to forgive my sin. He's raised so that I can receive justification or righteousness on my account. The rich young ruler went away from this situation in other accounts. He went away sad because he thought, well, I'm hopeless. I can't, I can't sell everything I have and give it to the poor. I, I can't go and see this guy that's in a ditch and take care of every single one of his needs for the rest of his life. I can't do that. I, 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 so, so what do I do? I, don't, I can't do that and gain eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have revealed that you can't do what's necessary, that I can't do what's necessary to obtain eternal life. Instead, you did. You did what I needed. But our, our human heart is to find our own way to, to accomplish that. The rich young ruler did it, or the, this lawyer did it, and so do I. Yeah, right? That's right. That's our natural default mode. And, and so what we're talking about, what's what Jesus says, how he interprets Scripture. I mean, it's amazing to think that God the Son is there in their midst, and he's literally interpreting Scripture. Another text we had talked about, maybe we can turn there now, is Luke 24, where you see Jesus demonstrating this. I mean, we don't get all the details, but we're would, told in Luke 24 would you mind, that... Would you mind if I interrupt before yeah, we get to it. that yeah, part? Yeah, go ahead. Because, go because ahead. I think there's another angle yep. of, 
of what it looks like for us to miss yep. and the danger of us missing this. So God has told us in, in passages like Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 that God has made us complete. Those of us that yep. have trusted Christ, yep. he's made us complete. We have full acceptance. We have full righteousness. We have fully embraced and received the love of God. We have everything that we need because of what God has done through Christ on our behalf. Mm-hmm. The next step that it takes to realize the, the challenge, because I, I think we, most of the people that are listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess, have understood that they can't attain eternal life for themselves. Right. They, they, that they don't, they don't do enough righteous deeds to, to merit eternal life. So I'm going to guess that most of the people listening understand yep. that facet of the gospel. Yep. Yep. The problem that comes is that that gospel is the same gospel that leads us in our every single day life. And we are warned again and again and again in the New Testament not to go beyond the gospel, not to think that the gospel is only what brings me unto God and makes me right with God from a a record standpoint. It is an every day I rest in the gospel that God has accomplished for me through Mm -hmm. Christ. And so when he gets to Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, you've begun in the spirit... Are you going to now be made perfect by the flesh? It's so natural for us to do that. That whole group that at one point would have taken their eye out to give it to Paul for his need because they loved him so much and appreciated his gospel so much had moved beyond the gospel because it seemed right that they would now, as those that are born again, as those that have received life from God, would now find a way to be pleasing to God by the things that we do. And he tells their righteousness. Exactly. Yep. And so it's so yep. normal for us to do that. And, and what Paul tells them is, no, that, that, that justification that you've received through Christ isn't just what brings you into a, a good standing with God for your eternal record. It's for your right now record. Your standing with God is secure because of what God has done in Christ. Yep. Believe him. Yep. It's not to be determined depending on your performance. It's finished it's complete it is and so in the new king james version uh which i I refer to occasionally um in in second corinthians 11 in verse 3 he makes this statement paul does he says but i fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted it's a strong word your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in christ So we think, well, okay, I, I've come to Christ, I've come to God through Christ. I'm okay now. Now I'm, I'm going to get to another level. I'm going to get to another level spiritually. I'm going to scrape and climb and claw my way to be the best Christian that I can be, and God will be happy with me. Yep. And if God will be happy with me, not only will I feel that I have helped in some way in this process. But also, it's almost like we can get to the point, this is where some, some of the dangerous uh, challenges come in, I can get to the point where I think that God might owe me something. Yeah, right. Yep. 
Yep, seems like this negotiation, and and we can just by default slip into that mode without even thinking that we're not like deliberating and thinking, oh, I'm going to go. That's just like default that we can right. slip into, and so those warnings from Paul in Galatians and in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians and elsewhere, it's saying, hey, beware of this tendency. As Jesus said it in his way to his his closest followers, his disciples, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. We could say we'll, we'll use a big term here, but. You know, going to Bible college and seminary, lots of big words that we learned for all the money that we paid, right? So one of them <laughs> is hermeneutics, right? Which oh, is yes. the, the, the science of biblical interpretation. We could talk about, we could maybe call it the, the pharisaical hermeneutic, you know, beware of the tendency to come to scripture as like this to-do list or this, um, basically you're misconstruing it in a way that you think it's somehow going to produce life for you or it's going to do something to your status. And to your point, I agree with you. We, we've heard it so many times. We have this tendency, we hear from other people where it just seems like, well, that's just too simple or there's got to be more, right? Which is kind of this idea, this implicit idea, well, there's more to gain in terms of righteousness. Like there's more uh, badges that I can wear or something that I can to prove that I've, I've, I've leveled up in my, um, I think that's a video game kind of <laughs> reference. I'm well, not a video game person, but like leveling up in my Christianity or my godliness and and we would say, hey, be, beware of the temptation to lose sight of the fact that very simply, Christ is your life and he's provided you everything. He's not left something back to say, well, I'm going to give you 98%, but I'm waiting to see how you do. And then maybe I'll give you the other 2%. That now it's like, it's all yours in Christ by grace undeserved. Yeah. Jesus is all my righteousness. Yeah. All of it. Period. End of sentence. Which paragraph. Is, story. Right. This is why we're so grateful. Right. This is why we come back again and again. It's because God is not in the situation where he's like, you know, Jeff, I really need you to do this for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like that burden on my shoulders, you know, that's, it's pretty tall order. If he's relying on me, no, that doesn't as if mean, I could handle it. It doesn't yep. mean that we don't do things. It doesn't yep. mean we don't proclaim the gospel. It doesn't mean we don't read our Bibles. I'm in my Bible every day. Yep. You know, yep. Yeah, you and I counsel people in terms of, okay, endeavoring to love, love your, your wife, your kids. And we, we work our way through those things horizontally, but what we're talking about here is the sort of vertical, yes. what has been accomplished in Christ, the atmosphere in which we function, in which we live our lives, and learning to depend upon those settled, again, another big word keeps coming to my head, but the settled indicatives, those truth statements in Scripture, just this is the way it is. And now, yeah, you're going to wrestle your way through as you endeavor to love as you've been loved by Christ. And you're going to keep bumping into your insufficiency, your inability, your human emptiness. And 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 just remember who your Savior is, who the supply is. And that's, that's foreign to everything in this world. You know, the irony is, I think at times when there's this desire to pursue higher levels of Christianity, there's the thought, well, we don't want to be worldly. But in an ironic twist, Rob, wouldn't we say that's kind of like the same methodology of the world? In the world's way, it's always, you know, you, you, you get what you pay for. You you uh, earn certain, uh, whether it's academically, credentials. professionally, credentials. You need those credentials in order to get whatever the payoff is. And we're talking about a totally different, God's economy is totally different, isn't it? And so worldliness comes in all kinds of baggage or uh, clothing, right? Yeah, you've, packages, you've got, yeah. You've got, you've got this, this, this kind of clothing that, that is, okay, worldliness means, you know, riotous partying or... Another kind of clothing, it means about, you know, sex and pornography or this kind of worldliness. We have really fancy cars and really fancy homes. But 
it's just one form of thing to the next. It, it, it's, it's this endeavor to achieve for myself so that I feel better about me, so that I'm satisfying me. But that's right. We, we've received all the satisfaction that we could ever receive in the person of Christ. And then, then we can enjoy um, things in, in their appropriate way. Yeah, the right? great, a great quote comes to mind, a book I read years ago, excellent book, in which the author is pointing out some of these theological truths and the, the damaging implications in the church, the harmful things that happen in the church as a result of missing and losing sight of the simplicity of the gospel. And at one point he says, he says, listen, preoccupation with self in the name of God is still preoccupation with self. So it's when, when um, what is it, in James, where it, it defines worldliness kind of as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, mm-hmm. and the boastful pride of life. I mean, it's cloaked, it's subtle, it's that pharisaical, difficult-to-detect form, but it's still a self-absorption, right? And that's how Jesus talked to Nicodemus. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, fleshly, that's worldly. That which is born, produced by the spirit, is spiritual. So whether whatever form of worldliness we might be partaking in, it's all just as dangerous. Some have other ramifications, sure. right? Yep. There are consequences, Maybe horizontal consequences that are different that differ. from yep. one thing to the yep. next. That's right. But they all impact us negatively Correct. from a spiritual standpoint. So if I want something spiritually beneficial in my life, I don't, I don't like own the spirit and can tell the spirit, okay, now you need to do this in my life. You know, do it this way right now. It's the spirit comes as he wishes. Yeah. And that's boy. I mean, that just takes control out of our hands, which yep. is another reason that we struggle with this. The simplicity of this idea is we, we have a certain way, a fleshly way as we navigate through life of controlling things. Mm-hmm. And now this says, Hey, you can't just control it. God is the life giver. He is the wellspring of love and joy and peace. And we're invited to believe that and to rest in that and to walk forward, to walk. I think it says in Colossians, um, um, as you receive the, the Lord Jesus, like so walk in him. It's like the same, in, in, in the Greek term there is like in the same manner, in the same way that you received him, walk in him. But we want to leave that and kind of adopt a new methodology, the world's methodology, the fleshly methodology. Say, well, I'm going to, Walk in him now by this sort of transaction or achievement or do, do, do or something, right? Right. And that's where this conversation that we're having right now is so important because here we are, you know, people start their Bible reading plans. I have a Bible reading plan. Yep. You read it's it. It's great. You read it. Maybe you listen to it, whatever it is that your methodology is. And as you're listening or reading through the scriptures, what are you seeing what are you seeing? And that's what kind of gets us back to where you were headed before I yeah, started yeah. this long interruption. No, that's good. That's an excellent, excellent uh, little rabbit trail there. Really important <laughs> one. Fantastic. Um, so, so let's go there. Um, Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. This is Jesus. The disciples are on the road to Emmaus, and they encounter Jesus. They don't even recognize him as Jesus. And he begins to teach them some things. So let's read it. It's uh, verse 25 through 27 in Luke 24. It says, And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Don't you just love to hear that passage, um, that 
there, there's both a joy in hearing that and a bit of a challenge yeah. in hearing that. So the, the joy is, okay, if Jesus is unveiling first to these two men and then next in a little bit uh, to his disciples, and here in the written page of Scripture, he's revealing to us that all of the Old Testament was pointing to him and how it's supposed to be viewed in light of him. The joy is, okay, so now I can relook at all of those passages and see what they are doing to point me to this awesome Jesus, this awesome Savior, the second person of the Trinity who has won my redemption, who has been uh, raised for my justification, who has ascended, is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is now interceding for me, He's my high priest and my advocate. This one, I can go now, look back through the Old Testament and see that it was all pointing to him. That's the joy. The challenge part is, okay, well, sometimes I'm reading yeah. and it might be hard to see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, how does, this, how does this verse, how does this group of verses point me to Jesus? And while it might not immediately become apparent to me what the right way is, one thing I know, I've got to find the road, to find the road to how this is pointing me right. to Jesus. Um, so that's, I think, what we want to try to talk about. Yep. Maybe, yeah. Let's let's go there because we see. Okay, we see it modeled by Jesus Himself, which is no insignificant thing. I mean, the fact that God Himself here is saying this. This is how He's handling Scripture. Mm-hmm. Then you see it with the apostles. All throughout their letters, they're referring to Old Testament texts and showing how those Old Testament texts are fulfilled in Jesus and not just the ones that are explicitly messianic. You know, you think of an Isaiah 53 or certain passages that are so explicitly messianic, but we're saying, hey, all of it. Here it says, in all the scriptures, Jesus taught them concerning himself. And again, that's what you see with, with the apostles. So then it begs the question, all right, so, okay, I'm here I am. I'm trying to read my Bible. I believe this is God's revelation for me. I believe it's really important. Uh, I also know that countless pages have been written by other scholars and interpreters wrestling with its meaning and debating every single verse and every single word and preposition and everything else has been debated to the nth degree. How, how in the world am I going to have confidence to come to this book and ensure that I don't miss life. As these, you know, Rob and Jeff are talking about life, how, how do I not miss life here? How, how, do I, how do I do this? So we get some thoughts that would, I think, simplify for us uh, how we go about it. So do you want to go first? Sure. Let's, um, let's think, first of all, again, that we have the, the illustration of it in, in these verses, and then later on in the same chapter, as he um, encounters his disciples, he not only has illustrated, now he calls them to do a similar thing yeah. um, in the way that he com- communicates about it. What he does is he, he tells them that all these scriptures were talking about the death, burial, and resurrection that, that was on, on their behalf. But then he says, really, go and do this. Go and do this. And then they do follow that in, in the... Uh, you can see it in the Acts of the Apostles as they preach yep. Stephen's Christocentric yep. message yep. And, and then Peter's, Peter's yep. messages in, in Acts 2 and 3, uh, Paul later on in maybe Acts 13 and things like this. You can see it demonstrated. Of course, all the epistles are doing this. 
kind of easy to find in the front right. of the Bible, you know, the, the, the back end of the Bible. It's where you get to the, in that first Testament, the Old Testament, yep. you know, what is it More challenging. The, yep. to, to, to find it? And honestly, the more we understand who our Savior is, the easier it is to find him mm-hmm. in those passages, right? You get in Genesis chapter one, and you can see it, the Bible talking about the creation. Well, the New Testament reveals that Jesus is their creator. And then you see in the Gospels how Jesus, as the creator of all things, has power over his creation. That's how he's able to heal diseases, right? Right. right. And this guy has the inability to speak, and Jesus speaks the word, and his tongue is loosed, and he can talk. Well, that's because he's the creator of the world. He can multiply loaves and fish because he spoke all that into existence. So you can see just the the handiwork of God all through the, the, the text. You get you know, certain passages that can be more difficult than others, maybe that might be something we want to dive into in the second part of this, because at, at this point we're getting close to that yep. you know, 35 yep. minute mark here. Yep. And, um, maybe we might want to find a way to wrap this yep. segment of our conversation up and then start that yep. fresh. So maybe this is a way to wrap it up and then we'll try to go into, yeah, some, some maybe more practical examples, mm-hmm. maybe look at some passages. I have at least one in, in my mind that we could look at in the Old Testament. Um, but for now, to wrap this up, this part of the conversation, let me let me read this text in Romans because back to highlighting hey, hu- the human tendency is to, is to miss Christ. We've looked at examples of that. Here Paul talks about that one more time, just sort of as a... I, could say as a warning, right, where he again is talking about the, the Israelites, okay, the people who had who had the, the, the traditions and who had the, the history and, as it says elsewhere, the, the oracles of God. They had this um, heritage, this rich heritage. And it says, interestingly, in verse 30, starting in verse 30 of Romans 9, what shall we say? The Gentiles, so the outsiders, those who didn't have all of that heritage, uh, who did not pursue righteousness, meaning they didn't really care about these things of God at all, but yet they attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. That right there is is, is a marvel uh, in a way. Uh, and then he goes on and says, but Israel, the ones who, in a way you could say, should have known better, uh, pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. So... This is, sorry, they, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. In other words, they, they missed Jesus. And of course, they, they crucified Jesus. So maybe we end on this note. We're saying this is really important. It has everything to do with whether or not your time in Scripture is life-giving or deadly, whether it's encouraging or burdensome, you know, liberating or enslaving. Well, in terms of warnings, in terms of well, what is getting it wrong look like? Well, let's just sort of crystallize it really clearly. We saw it with the lawyer earlier. We see it here in what Paul is saying. It is when I come to the text looking for a way to justify myself, to do it right, get it right, make my life right, make my family right, whatever it is, like that self-justifying effort, that is one sign that that you are missing the point, the main point. Mm -hmm. And right along with that is this idea that somehow, because these two things are connected biblically throughout, but... There's this idea of life. I'm trying to gain life, and by that we don't mean physical life, the obvious, you know, version of it, biological life. We mean spiritual life. We're trying to get 
the things that matter most of the highest value, our own satisfaction, our own sense of significance, our own sense of security. There's different ways we could formulate that, but we're trying to say essentially save ourselves. And I think what we're saying is, hey, this book from start to finish, from cover to cover, Genesis 1-1, Revelation 22-21, everything in between is pointing us to our Savior, the one who comes to rescue us and grant us life yeah, as a the, gift. The, the two problems among many that we would experience in looking at the text like that and stumbling over the text and trying to gain life from commandments, uh, there are two ways that, that people mainly demonstrate the result of that. Number one, they realize just how terrible they are at this and how far short they fall and they get so frustrated, they throw their hands up in the air and say, yep. I'm done. Yep. I, this, this is not for me. This is not helping. I tried that yep. to no I'm avail. Yep. So that's one. Yep. And the second way, which might be just as dangerous or possibly even more, yep is we turn a blind eye to the reality that we fall short and we think, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm, I, 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 have, I have done everything that God has asked me to do. I've sought after this. I, he's, he's going to give me life. I don't know why things aren't working exactly the way that I intended them to work. He, God kind of owes me something. Something's not quite right, but I'm doing the right things. I know I'm going to be in heaven because I'm doing the right things. And... Um, I'm pretty, pretty happy about how I've yeah. come to this. Yeah. And the reason they're able to do that is because they turn a blind eye it's to the reality. Blindness. That's right. They That's turn right. a blind eye to the reality that they're laden yep. with sin. Yep. There's a good, a good book that you and I both like called uh, Him We Proclaim by a theologian named Dennis Johnson. And in that book, he talks about the, the two, two possibilities, what you just described, and he put it in terms of the, there's two results here, either self-righteous hypocrisy or self-condemning despair that like those are those are your options when reading through the lenses of the flesh the fallen nature and missing and losing sight of god christ the provision so that's a good place i think to to stop and then we'll we'll come back around for part two and talk about maybe some examples and, and try to demonstrate okay how how we how we do this even though again we're not perfect at it but we're learning and growing in our ability to, to do that so look forward to it consider yourself warned <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly